ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا ومن سيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله صلى الله عليه وسلم يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله حق تقاته ولا تموتن الا وانتم مسلمون يا ايها الناس اتقوا ربكم الذي خلقكم من نفس واحده وخلق منها زوجها وبث منهما رجالا كثيرا ونساء واتقوا الله الذي تساءلون به والارham ان الله كان عليكم رقيبا يا ايها الذين امنوا اتقوا الله وقولوا قولا سديدا يصلح لكم اعمالكم ويغفر لكم ذنوبكم ومن يطع الله ورسوله فقد فاز فوزا عظيما اما بعد فان اصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وشر الامور محدثاتها وكل محدثه بدعه وكل بدعه ضلاله وكل ضلاله في النار we continue with the explanation of the narrations from mishkat al-musabih the works of the noble sheikh muhammad ibn salih al-uthaymin rahimahullah ta'ala we are still in kitabul iman the book of faith we come to the 18th narration an ubadah bin as-samit radiyallahu an qala qala rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam وحوله عصابة من أصحابه ذايعوني على أن لا تشركوا بالله شيئا ولا تسرقوا ولا تزنوا ولا تقتلوا أولادكم ولا تأتوا ببهتان تفترونه بين أيديكم وأرجلكم ولا تعسوا في معروف فمن وفى منكم فاجره على الله ومن اصاب من ذلك شيئا فعوقب به في الدنيا فهو كفاره له ومن اصاب من ذلك شيئا ثم ستره الله عليه في الدنيا فهو الى الله ان شاء عفى عنه وان شاء عاقبه فبايعناه على ذلك متفق عليه this narration is on the authority of Ubadah ibn As-Samit radiyallahu an He said that the messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wasallam said while there was a group of companions around him give me the pledge of allegiance 
that you will not associate anything with Allah as a partner and you will not steal and you will not commit zina and you will not kill your children and you will not come with falsehood fabricating it between yourselves and you will not be disobedient regarding matters of goodness and whoever fulfills that from amongst you then his reward is with Allah and whoever commits anything from that and he is punished for it in the life of this world then it will be an expiation for him and whoever indulges or commits anything from that and then Allah conceals him or conceals the sin in the life of this world and then his affair is to Allah if Allah wills he will forgive him and if Allah wills he will punish him Rabada he said so we gave the pledge of allegiance to the Prophet sallallahu upon that Shaykh Uthaymeen rahimahullah ta'ala he says هذا أيضا من أحاديث الإيمان والإسلام التي تتعلق بهذا الباب الذي ترجمه المؤلف رحمه الله في كتابه مشكات المصابيح حديث عبادة ابن الصامد أن النبي صلى الله عليه وسلم أمر أصحابه أن أن يبايعوه هذه البيعة وتسمى بَيْعَةُ النِّسَاءِ الَّتِي قَالَ اللَّهُ فِيهَا يَا أَيُّهَا النَّبِي إِذَا جَاءَكَ الْمُؤْمِنَاتِ يُبَايِعْنَكَ عَلَىٰ أَنْ لَا يُشْرِكْنَ بِاللَّهِ شَيْئًا وَلَا يَسْرِقْنَ وَلَا يَزْنِينَ وَلَا يَقْتُلْنَ أَوْلَادَهُنَّ وَلَا يَأْتِينَ بِبُهْتَانٍ يَفْتَرِينَهُ بَيْنَ أَيْدِيهِنَّ وَأَرْجُلِهِنَّ وَلَا يَعْصِينَكَ فِي مَعْرُوفٍ فَبَايِعْهُنَّ يقول بيعهن على أن لا تشركوا بالله شيئا الشرك قسم إلى قسمين أكبر وأسخر. The Shaykh says these narrations, or this narration also is from the narrations that deal with iman in Islam, that deals with faith, and that deals with Islam. And we covered before, whenever iman and Islam are mentioned together, what's the rule? Whenever they are mentioned together, they have two different meanings. And whenever they are mentioned separately, they have the same meaning. Who can give me an example of some other words that are similar? Like? Naam, that's, so that's an example. Or let me mention another example. Albir wa taqwa. When they are mentioned together, they have a separate meaning. When they are mentioned separately, they have the same meaning. Another example, Al-Faqir uh, Wal-Miskeen. It's another one. Al-Faqir Wal-Miskeen. And you have this meaning. There are terms that when mentioned separately, they are synonymous. But when they are mentioned together, they have different meanings. One indicates one matter and the other indicates another matter. And as was covered as for Al-Islam and Iman were mentioned together, Iman is related to that which is inward, and Islam is related to that which is outward. 
So this narration is from the narrations that deal with Iman and Islam, which is connected to this chapter which the author has mentioned in his book, Mishkat al-Musabih, the hadith of Ubadah ibn al-Samit. That the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he ordered his companions to give him the Pledge of Allegiance. And here is a point as it relates to the matters of Minhaj. The Pledge of Allegiance or the Bay'ah is for the Muslim ruler. Pledge of Allegiance is for the Muslim ruler. This is who the Bay'ah is given to. Or given to someone who is in, who's representing the Muslim ruler. As for like here in America, there is no bay'ah owed to the Imam of the Masjid. It's no bay'ah. There is no bay'ah to be given to the president of an Islamic organization. Rather, we find that this is from the ways of the Hizbiyah. That these groups, these quote-unquote Islamic groups, they have these figureheads and they demand that they are given bay'ah or the bay'ah is given to these figureheads and that they're going to hear and obey that leader. The narrations that speak about bay'ah and the likes, this not speaking about imams of the masjid or figureheads of Islamic organizations and the likes. The bay'ah is speaking about the bay'ah for the Muslim ruler, who's over the Muslim government and the likes. But you have here in America, and specifically here in New York City, that there are masajids where the people give bay'ah to the imam of the masjid. And this is due partially to the misunderstanding of the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, which means that whoever dies without having the bay'ah upon him then he has removed the yoke of Islam or he dies, excuse me, he dies the death of Jahiliyyah now, whoever does not have the bay'ah upon his neck or he doesn't have the bay'ah and then he dies he dies the death of Jahiliyyah. So some people say we have to give bay'ah to an imam. Because I don't want to die the death of Jahiliyyah. In this situation here in America, the hadith is not applicable to us. Because we don't have a Muslim ruler who we give the bay'ah to. But we believe that if we were living in a land where there is a Muslim ruler, then we will give bay'ah to the imam or the ruler of that land. As for the meaning of the hadith, this is for the one who lives under a Muslim government. If he dies without giving bay'ah to the ruler, then he dies the death of Jahiliyyah, meaning he dies similar to the one who died in a time where they didn't have like the rulers over the people and the Pledge of Allegiance was given to the ruler. So this hadith is not to be used as a justification that we give bay'ah to the imams of the masjid here in, in America and specifically here in New York City. So one, one time a brother mentioned, I want to give bay'ah to the masjid. We said, there is no bay'ah here. You just come and, and pray. 
Come and pray. There's no bi'ah here. There's no pledge of allegiance to the Imam here, Mashallah. Alhamdulillah, you come, participate, make your salah, benefit from the classes, bring your children, benefit from the Quran classes, and the sisters benefit from the sisters' classes. Khalas. That's it. You come here and you worship Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. There is no, the bay'ah is given to the Imam here, and people have to hear and obey the Imam and everything. No, no, no. We don't have that type of situation here, alhamdulillah. And anyone who calls for that, they are calling to innovation in the deen. Also from the matters of innovation, these groups setting up in Amir. Amir. In Amir. So this is a, he's the Amir, he has to be given bay'ah. Like he's the leader. He's the Amir of the people. So he, the Amir is due bay'ah. You have two types of emirs. The Muslim ruler or the governor. And then you have the emir when people are traveling, when it's three or more. No, 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 no. We're not talking about that type of... As they say, is a statement of truth, but falsehood is intended by them. Yeah, there is a hadith for that. But they is taken out of context with them. Yes, when a group of Muslims are traveling, there should be an emir. And the emir, but the emir is not do any bay'ah though. You don't give bay'ah to an emir, you're going to be traveling with him for two weeks, you give bay'ah to him. No, there's no bay'ah for him. And the wisdom behind that, there being an emir, is that so, there is one leader of the group as it relates to the affairs of the travel. We're going to take this way. We're going to go this way. So it's not, you know, as they say, too many, too many chiefs and no Indians. So to keep the structure and to smooth out the travel, that's what that's for. So that the affairs of the travel go smoothly. When there is one brother, he says, okay, this is, we're going to go this way. Or we're going to leave at such and such a time. And that this one said, well, we just leave at three. Another person said, leave at four. Another person said, well, let's leave at seven. Let's, you know, hey, man, let's just stay the night here. It's a nice place. Let's, you know, walk around town a little bit. Now you have one person says, we're going to leave at five o'clock. And the people, they cooperate with him. But this emir is not similar to the emir who's the governor over the he's the Muslim ruler it's not the same well, Amir al-Mu'mineen right like the command of the believers meaning he's the Khalifa or he's the the ruler no why not yes we do in the Muslim countries the leader is the Amir of the believers whoever whoever is the ruler whoever is the king whoever is the president now it, it doesn't it, them being the ruler or the emir doesn't mean that they have to be on the same level of Abu Bakr, Umar, Uthman, and Ali now. No. Yeah. But the person is still the Muslim ruler. And we have to hear and obey as long as he does not command with disobedience to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. He is the leader. We, that's something different. 
Allah, the Prophet ﷺ, he mentioned, like when this time comes, give the leaders their rights and ask Allah for your rights. That's, what, that's the direction of the Prophet Muhammad Because the Prophet foretold that they're going to come leaders, they're not going to be doing what they're supposed to do. So the Sahaba said, shouldn't we revolt against them? The Prophet said, no. As long as they're establishing the prayer. Don't revolt. Don't, don't, don't make no revolution. Why? Because it will lead to a greater harm. Not out of justification for the ruler or the leader being corrupt. No, there's no, we don't justify nobody's wrongdoing. But the Prophet from his wisdom, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, that Allah gave to him, prohibited the Muslims from revolting against the Muslim rulers who are corrupt to, to avoid the greater harm, which is the destabilization of the country. Okay, let's look at the Arab Spring that took place in Northern Africa. What good came out of it? How much bloodshed was lost? How much bloodshed? Much bloodshed. Much bloodshed. Even in some cases, women being violated. Our Muslim women, our Muslim sisters, and, and our Muslim mothers and daughters and the likes and the what. Being violated for what? Revolution. When we say the spring, what, what color is the spring? Yes. Green. Ahsan. Which gives the indication of what? Life. What color was the Arab spring? Blood red in the streets. What, what new life came out of that? That's productive. It was a lot of harm. The stabilization of the Muslim countries. You know, doing the bidding of the people of the West who want to see the Muslim countries destabilized. So the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, hear and obey the ruler, is not coming from a position of weakness or a position of condoning the wrong of the ruler, but it's coming from the position of protecting the blood of the Muslims so that there is no greater harm. So the scholars, they mention, when the Muslim ruler is drinking, and the Muslim ruler is indulging in indecency, and the Muslim ruler is doing this, and the Muslim ruler is doing that, his sin goes back to who? His sin goes back to who? Him, himself. He's hurting himself. But at the same time, Overall, there's peace. You understand? I give an example. In Egypt, when Husni Mubarak was the president, okay, he wasn't the best Muslim in Egypt, but one has to admit that there was somewhat stability in Egypt. There were not people just running around with guns and, and, and doing all type of crimes and stuff like that. Does that mean that Hosni Mubarak during his presidency didn't make any mistakes? No, it doesn't mean he did. He made mistakes. But at the same time, in comparison to when he was in charge and then what took place after, it was better to have left him alone to avoid the greater, the, the greater evil. But the people revolted, being led by the Ikhwanis, who would do the bidding of the people of the West. And they revolted against him and overthrew him. Right? And then, 
who became in charge? Uh, Mursi, right? Right. Mind you, he was from the people who revolted. And then when the people started to revolt against him, then he started quoting the the Ikhwani started quoting the narrations. He's the ruler. You have to hear and obey. No revolting. <laughs> you revolt is halal for you to revolt because you have an agenda. But then when you get in power, and look what the the, the claim was. What we're going to establish Islamic Sharia. We're going to do this. He was in power for a whole year. They didn't keep their promise. And then when the people want to revolt against them, now they want to start quoting the ayat of the Qur'an and the, the ahadith of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam regarding the rights of the ruler. Why it didn't apply to Husni Mubarak, but it applies to Mursi? This shows the deviance of the ikhwanis. These individuals have that given bay'ah to the head or the, the za'im of the group and the likes. And they have it in the mirror, and you have to hear and obey the emir and the likes. This is why the scholars have warned against the group, the Muslim Brotherhood. And this is why we warn against uh, the Muslim Brotherhood. So, the Prophet ﷺ foretold that the leaders who will come, they're going to have errors from delaying the Salat, giving preference as it relates to wealth to individuals who are close to them, and other than that, from what the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, but the Prophet said, do not revolt as long as they establish the Salat. Again, this is not coming from a position of weakness. This is not coming from a position of weakness, but it's coming from the position of the lesser of the two evils. And this is a principle in our religion, that whenever we are faced with two evils, we choose the lesser of the two. So you have the evil of the ruler who's doing wrong. But then you have the evil that's going to come as a result of revolting. The lesser of the two evil is to leave him in place. But at the same time, there's no widespread bloodshed. There's no raping of the woman and destroying of homes and other than that. Like what took place in Egypt. And one brother, a close friend of mine, Brother Amir Junaid, he formerly was Loon, he was a rapper. Alhamdulillah, he accepted Islam and, mashallah, you know, Allah, Allah blessed him. Alhamdulillah, he moved to Egypt and he was over there studying. He was there when these riots was going on and I was able to talk to him. And he, he, he called me one time, he said, Akhi, subhanAllah, he said, do you know that the people were rioting all night and nobody is up going to the, to the masjid of Fajr in the morning? He said, the masjid are empty. He said, but the people were in the street all night rioting and revolting. He said, but the masjids are empty. What, what type of good is going to come from a people? Who's revolting all night and rioting all night, right? To say what? They want their rights, but you don't give Allah His rights. And they're people sleeping now because they're too tired because they've been tearing up all night. How do the people expect to be successful when this is the behavior of a people?
Well, as for him, the scholars had declared him to be a disbeliever. Okay. Now, even when the ruler is established by the scholars of Islam, that the person is a disbeliever and has left the fold of Islam, that's not enough to revolt. Because there has to be certain things in place. Like being having the ability to remove him and then put someone in place who's going to do the right thing. Yeah, that those other matters and factors have to be taken into consideration also. Not that, okay, he's a disbeliever and all we have is a couple of slingshots over here and a bow and arrow, right, against tanks and airplanes and the likes. That's suicide. Okay. As for, so the scholars, they mention for the people to leave from there, if they have the ability. And for those who do not have the ability, then they have the right to defend themselves and their families. But this is for them that's there. But it's not for any one of us from the outside to go travel over there for the purpose of fighting over there. This is not legislated for us. No. You don't, who are you fighting with? No, who are you going to go and fight with? Because there's so many groups over there fighting, right? And then many of those groups are Khawarij. So who are you going to fight with? That's number one. Secondly, coming from here, you put yourself in another situation of danger. Coming from a Muslim land, the ruler has not given the authority for the people to leave and join. Different from the people who are inside there already, who are there. Their ruling is different. Their ruling is different. Because now you have, when you talk about finding their rules and regulations to everything in Islam, Remember that our religion, our deen is a deen of structure. It's not a deen that's chaotic. Everybody, anybody just jump up and just start fighting and shooting and the likes. It is not from Islam that our daughters get up and just rush over there and they become jihadi brides. This is legislated? No one from amongst us will be pleased with one of our daughters fleeing in the middle of the night and going over there to become a bride of a, 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 a quote-unquote, uh, a jihadi soldier. None of us. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لا نكاح إلا بولي There's no marriage except with a guardian. No father is approving of his daughter to go run and travel like that. But this is what these groups are calling our daughters to do. Islamic or un-Islamic. Then these groups are fighting one another. They're not just fighting Assad. They're fighting one another. And this is from the way of the Khawarij. They fight the Muslims. Because what's important to them is the seat of power. They're not fighting for la ilaha illallah. They're fighting for control. And look how the Prophet described him. 
They kill the people of Islam, but they leave alone the idolaters. And then the scholars mention, but if you do find them for some reason fighting against the idolaters, then it's only for the seat of power and not for making la ilaha illallah uppermost in the land. Just check their history, the history of the Khawarij. You find them, they have an agenda. They, they're not fighting to make Allah's word uppermost in the land. They're fighting for an agenda. They're fighting for control. When you, all right, here's another example to show you the methodology of the Khawarij. The first Khawarij was who? Dhul He's like the scholars say he's the leader of the Khawarij. He's the, their father. What was his complaint? Yes, Dhul Khawaisira himself. The first of them. He made khuruj against the Messenger وسلم, with his speech. What was his complaint? He said, Ya Muhammad, ittaqillah. O Muhammad, fear Allah. He says to the Prophet Muhammad, fear Allah. This is not a division by which the face of Allah is sought. Because the Prophet he gave to some and didn't give to others. So what is he complaining about? What is he, what is he complaining about, Shaykh? What's his complaint? Is, is his complaint about the prayer not being established? He's talking about the money. His The money. And not about whether it was his share or somebody else. His complaint is about the what? The money. The money. Fast forward. The Khawarij who killed Uthman. Who was their complaint? Were they complaining about the Salat is not being established, people not able to fast Ramadan, people not able to make Hajj, the people not able to practice their religion? Was that their complaint? He's not being fair. He's putting his family in, in places of authority. They're getting this from the money, and this and this power, and this dunya. Kill man. Fast forward. Ali ibn Abi Talib. What was the complaint of the Khawarij? Dunya we complain. Wallah, dunya we complain. No complaint about the Salat is not being established. No complaints about that. No complaints about the people can't practice their religion. All of it was connected to like power, authority, money, war booty, stuff like that. The Khawarij of yesterday, the khawarij of today, except that these khawarij, they're worse in some ways. Because they lie and they are sinners and the like. The khawarij of old, they were very strict. They wouldn't lie and they stayed away from sins because their methodology, you commit a major sin, you're a kafir. And some of them hold that if you commit any sin, you're a kafir. So they used to be very strict about things, except when it came to the blood of the Muslims. Khawarij. The Khawarij of today, they're criminals, along with their innovation. They lie, they indulge in drinking and zina as a disguise to fit in, and other things that they do.
break covenants and other than that. So when you have these type of groups in a place fighting, who are you going to join? Can't. Get corrupted. And they'll mess around and turn around and kill you if you start voicing your disagreement with their views and aqidah. They have no shame in killing Muslims. In many cases, there's more blood on the hands of the Khawarij, more Muslim blood on their hands than on the hands of some of the Kufar. Wallah. And I'm serious. The Khawarij, they kill a lot of Muslims. They kill a lot of Muslims. When they are bombing places in the lands of the Muslims and the, the children are being killed. And I'm not saying that the disbelievers don't do that. Because sometimes they do it and they say it was the Muslims who did it. But when the Khawarij actually do it and they take responsibility for doing it. Who are they killing? Killing their brothers and sisters in Islam. The Khawarij, these individuals are sick in their understanding of Islam. One individual, he said when he used to be a Khariji, he said when he be in the masjid praying, his view was that he was the Imam, and anyone who's praying is praying behind him. When we was in Egypt, the brothers had a, uh, an Arabic teacher, and he had some Khariji ways. He made takfir on his mother, made takfir upon his father. They would disbelieve this to him. Parents, own parents disbelieve us. And then he would be teaching the brothers Arabic and he'd be slipping his thing into the lessons. Supposed to be teaching Arabic, but he's slipping that poison into the Arabic lessons. Stay away. The Khawarij they have a bad history. They have a bad history. The likes of Osama bin Laden, Ayman al-Zawahiri, uh, Abu Musa al-Zarqawi, and the rest of these individuals, they have, their history is terrible. They've killed a lot of Muslims. Killed a lot of Muslims. So we don't celebrate these individuals. We don't condone these individuals. We don't encourage anyone to join these groups, ISIS and ISIL and Al-Qaeda and Jama'at al-Jihad and the rest of these other groups No, don't join them And don't go traveling to them for no training or anything like that Because these individuals are deviant They are astray leading other people astray So the scholar they mentioned If it so happens that a Muslim leader has apostated from the religion and it is established that he has apostated, meaning with Ahl al-Ilm, the scholars of the deen, that still is not enough for the people to revolt. Because the people have to have ability, also the people need to have something in place, so that when he is removed, the new just ruler is put in place. Right? So that there is not like a, a, a vacuum where the people are not fighting for power. And inshallah ta'ala, and maybe next week or in the coming weeks, I'll bring some works so we can go over in some of these points and principles. 
you know, so that everyone in here is upon clarity regarding these matters. Because we all should be aware, because this is what's going on in our day and time. So we should be aware, what's the ruling in dealing with these modern day issues? What is the ruling about Kashmir now is happening? Uh, it's captured by the idol Mm-hmm. Eight million people are hostage. Afghan fighters, they want to go there to fight because of Islam. I will bring the words of the scholars regarding that because these type of affairs is not for the likes of myself a small student of knowledge to be speaking about before the scholars the elder scholars of Al-Islam because this, you're talking about somebody's blood here now we ask a question about what's the ruling when somebody comes and the people are already praying and then he catches the last raka'ah and then once he gets up, what does he do? Okay, I can answer that. Okay, now that's within my ability. But now when we're talking about these big affairs, it's not for just us to just be speaking, except that we speak with that which the scholars have spoken with. And for sure... The scholars, they're not scholars for dollars, as people try to, to describe them to be. Rather, they're scholars who have concern for the well-being of the Muslim Ummah. So when you see them giving fatawa and mentioning that which is connected to these issues, understand that they're doing this after careful study of the affair and taking other issues into consideration. Not just quickly and just shooting out a fatwa, fight, don't fight. Yes, no, halal, haram. It's not that easy. It's not that easy. And, you know, us over here, we shouldn't be so quick to be talking about these affairs and passing verdicts when we know we're not qualified to do that. So it's very important that we know our places. And if we do have the verdicts from the scholars, which they have given based upon the proofs and evidence, we can relay that to the people. And we can say what they have said. But as for individuals stepping forward and speaking from them own selves about these affairs, this is a dangerous matter. And this is how you find that many of the youth have become duped and caught up in doing things that they have later on regretted. But not knowing, you know, not knowing what the true scholars of Al-Islam have stated. No. Shaykh he states, Regarding uh, the matter of Bay'ah here, that this Bay'ah was named the Bay'ah of the woman. The Bay'ah of the woman. And why is it known that the Bay'ah of the woman? Because this is what Allah mentions in the Quran addressing the matter of the woman. Allah, He states, O oh, you Prophet. When the believing woman come to you to give you bay'ah, that they will not associate anything with Allah as a partner, nor will they steal, nor will they commit zina, nor will they kill their children, nor will they come with falsehood that they have invented amongst themselves, nor will they disobey you in that which is good. Give them the bay'ah. فَبَايِعْهُنَّ Give them the bay'ah. Allow them to take the pledge of allegiance. So you see the things that's mentioned in this verse 
Allah is speaking to the Prophet ﷺ concerning the woman who gave bay'ah. And then in the hadith of Ubadah, the same matters are mentioned also. So this is why Shaykh Uthaymeen said, this bay'ah was named or known as the bay'ah of the nisa, the bay'ah of the woman. Meaning this is the pledge of allegiance that the female companions gave to the Prophet ﷺ. So the Prophet ﷺ gave them the bay'ah, that or accepted from them the bay'ah that they were not uh, so that you are. So he accepted the bay'ah that you will not associate anything as a partner with Allah. And then the Shaykh he goes on to mention that shirk a shirk yanqasimu ila qismain akbar wa asghar. That shirk is divided into two categories: the major shirk and the lesser form of shirk. The Shaykh says that awwal al-shirk al-akbar la yaghfiruhu Allah As for the major shirk Allah will not forgive it And this is an important matter here Because in this hadith it states Whoever does any of that And he is punished for it in the life of this world Then it will be an expiation for him on the day of judgment and whoever does any of that and Allah conceals his sin in the life of this world, then his affairs with Allah. If Allah wills, he will forgive him. If Allah wills, Allah will punish him. This part of the hadith is not speaking about the shirk. The shirk is excluded from this. Huh? Everything after the shirk. The stealing, committing zina, uh, lying on someone. These matters, if a person is punished for it in the dunya, then it is an expiation for them in the hereafter. But if Allah conceals the sin, and the person is not punished for it, and the person didn't make tawbah for it, then the affair is with Allah. If Allah wills, Allah will punish him. And if Allah wills, Allah will forgive them. And this shows the importance of when dealing with these type of texts, you have to take all of the texts into consideration. Because we have in the Quran the statement of Allah, "In Allah la yaghfiru an yushraq bihi wa yaghfiru maduna dhalika liman yasha." Indeed, Allah does not forgive that partners are associated with Him, but He forgives other than that for whomsoever He wills. So take the verse from the Quran and take this narration of Ibadah and Salma and put them together. So that will show that anything other than shirk is under the will of Allah. If Allah wills, Allah will forgive the person. If Allah wills, Allah will punish the person. So, shirk is excluded. As for stealing, as for zina, as for a person killing his child, as for coming with falsehood and fabrication, lying on someone's name, slandering someone, these things, if a person dies upon them, as a Muslim, the person is under the will of Allah. If Allah wills, Allah will forgive them. If Allah wills, Allah will punish the person. Shaykh Uthameen, he goes on to mention, وَمَنْ يُشْرِكْ بِاللَّهِ يَعْنِي الشِّرْكَ الْأَكْبَرِ فَقَدْ حَرَّمَ اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ الْجَنَّةِ وَمَأْوَاهُ النَّارِ وَمَا لِلظَّالِمِينَ مِنْ أَنصَارِ Whoever associates a partner with Allah, meaning with the major shirk, then Allah has made the paradise forbidden for him 
and his abode or destination is the hellfire, and there will be no helper for the wrongdoers. Lift an yashkud li ghairillah, aw yastaghith li ghairillah, istighathatan la tajus. وَأَمَّا الْإِسْتِغَافَ بِالْمَخْلُوقِ فِيمَا يَقْدِرُ عَلَيْهِ فَلَا بَأْسَ بِهَا An example is that the person he prostrates to other than Allah. This is major shirk. Or a person seeks relief from a calamity in a manner that is not allowed. As for seeking relief from creation in that which the person has the ability to do, then there's no harm in it. As an example, you're swimming. You catch a cramp in your leg, you start to go down. So you call out to the lifeguard, or your brother who can swim well, Akhi, help me, please. Call out to him. This is allowed. This is allowed. You can seek relief in this type of situation, because the person has the ability to do so. But now the Prophet wasallam, who has passed away in his grave, can you say, oh Prophet, help me please, as you're going down under the water? No, this is shirk. Because the Prophet wasallam, does not hear you. The Prophet wasallam, does not have the ability to help you. So when a person does this, it's as if they believe that the Prophet wasallam, has some type of power or control over the universe that he does not have the ability, and this is where the shirk comes in. So in those matters in which a person can help you to bring you relief, or to protect you, or to aid you, it's allowed to seek help from the creation in that. It's allowed to seek help. Something has fallen on you that's heavy, you can't get it off. You call, brothers, please help lift this off of me. They have the ability A child is stuck under a car. We call a group of men. Come over, come, let's move this car. I mean, there are enough men, they have the ability to lift the car up and pull the child out. These are things that are known and have been established. This is within the capability of the individual. A person, he's lifting weights. He says, throw two plates on there. Matter of fact, put three. It's feeling strong today. And he gets it off, oh, it'll... Boom! Right on his chest. Does he leave it there and don't call on nobody because he don't want to commit shirk? Huh? He sees his brothers right there. They're exercising. But he, I'm not going to call on nobody because, you know, this may be shirk if I call out for relief. The istighath is for Allah alone in all situations. And meanwhile, the, the, the bar is choking him to death. Well, he calls out for help. Because the brothers have the ability to go on each side and lift it up off. Inshallah, he won't do that again. Right? This is within the ability of the people. But now, can he call on the Prophet? Can he call on a sheikh that has passed away? No, this is... Beyond their capability. And they don't have the type of power, they don't have no power in their death to aid the person. So this is why the Shaykh says, Oh, yastaghithu bi ghayri Allahi istighafatan la tajuz. 
or that the person is seeking relief from other than Allah in a matter that's not permissible, meaning like calling upon the dead. Or as some of the ulama mentioned, calling upon someone who clearly doesn't have the ability to help and you're only doing that for one or two reasons. Either you are making mockery of the person, or you believe the person has some type of special ability. Example. You are, and something falls upon you, and you yourself can't lift it off. And a person who is paraplegic comes by in a wheelchair or quadriplegic a person a person can only move his mouth and you have some that in wheelchairs they're able to move their mouth to move their chair that's how they get around but they cannot move their arms and they cannot move their legs you say, hey, you there in the wheelchair, come help me. Move this off of me. Lift this thing off of me. Are you, are you making fun of the person? Clearly the person can't help. Or do you believe this person has some type of special ability? Now can you say, go and get help? Yes. That's within the person's ability. Yes. The person can go and call for some help. But to say, pick this piano up off me. Or lift this piano. Either you make a mockery of the person, or you believe the person has some type of power. In any event, if you ask for help from someone in a matter that they have the ability to help you in, this is not from. Ashirk billahi azawajal. The Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, he sought help from whom? The Ansar. Why are they called the Ansar? Because they are the helpers. Ahsan, the meaning are the helpers. They helped the Prophet. They helped him, they gave him protection, and they helped him to convey the message of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Even Isa alayhi salam. Nan ansari in Allah. Who's going to be my helpers in calling to Allah? That's something that was within the ability of the people. والثاني الأصغر وهو ما كان وسيلة إلى الأكبر. And the second category of shirk is the lesser form of shirk, and it is that which is a means to the greater shirk.
Shaykh Uthameen, rahimahullah ta'ala, he continues, وَالثَّانِي الْأَصْغَرُ وَهُوَ مَا كَانَ وَسِيلَةً إِلَى الْأَكْبَرُ The second category of shirk is the lesser form of shirk. And a side point, when, when it's stated the lesser form of shirk or minor shirk, this is not to make the matter to be or to seem insignificant. It's the lesser shirk or the minor shirk in comparison to the greater shirk or the major shirk. But it's a serious affair. So it is that which is a means to the major shirk or the greater shirk. Like Al-Half Bihadillah. Al-Half Bihadillah shirkun asghar. Like swearing by other than Allah. Swearing by other than Allah is the minor shirk or the lesser shirk. مثل أن يحلف بالنبي أو بالكعبة أو بالشمس أو بالقمر أو بأي مخلوق فمن حلف بغير الله فقد كفر أو أشرك أو أشرك ولكنه شرك أصغر. So an example is that a person swears by the Prophet. The person says, "When Nabi." Find this. Common on the tongues of, of of some, they are swear by the Prophet. They say, "One Nabi, or by the Prophet." And I swear by the Prophet. This is not allowed. Yes, the Prophet wasallam is a great man, and we love him more than we love any human being. And his status with Allah is a great status that no other Prophet has. However, it's still not a justification to swear by the Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Or by the Kaaba. People say, Wal Kaaba. Ahsan, Shaykh. Swear by the Lord of the Kaaba and not the Kaaba itself. Swear by the Lord of the Kaaba. And not the Kaaba itself. Subhanallah wa bihamdi, look at this. To show you how bad this situation is. When Abraha came to destroy the Kaaba, Abdul Muttalib, they left Mecca and they said, the Kaaba has a Lord who will defend it. Not that the Kaaba would defend itself. The Kaaba has a Lord who will defend it. And here it is, you have some Muslims. Instead of swearing by the Lord of the Kaaba, the one who protects the Kaaba, who is over the Kaaba, they swear by the Kaaba itself. Acknowledge that Allah is the Lord of the Kaaba, swear by Him. Don't swear by the Kaaba itself. 
Yes, the Kaaba is the first house of worship established in the earth. The greatest of the houses of worship. Prayer at the Kaaba is 100,000 prayers for one prayer. And other than that, from the virtues of the Kaaba. But still, with all of this, one is not to swear by the Kaaba. We say, وَرَبِّ Kaaba, And by the Lord of the Kaaba. Not by the Kaaba itself. Because the Kaaba, although great and magnificent, it is still from creation. Also, swearing by the sun or by the moon, or by anything or anyone in creation, whoever swears by other than Allah has committed an act of disbelief or shirk, as the Prophet ﷺ mentioned, مَنْ حَلَفَ بِغَيْرِ اللَّهِ فَقَدْ كَفَرَ أَوْ أَشْرَكَ Whoever swears by other than Allah, then he has committed an act of disbelief or an act of shirk. In another narration, the Prophet said, مَنْ كَانَ حَالِفًا فَلْيَحْلِفْ بِاللَّهِ أَوْ لِيَسْمُوتِ That whoever is going to swear, then let him swear by Allah or remain silent. So the Shaykh, he says, However, it is the lesser form of shirk. قَالُوا إِلَّا أَنْ يَغَفِرَهُ اللَّهِ Except that Allah will forgive him or forgive it. And this is one of the differences between major shirk and the lesser form of shirk. Whoever dies upon major shirk the person will not be forgiven. Whoever dies upon minor shirk, some ulama say that he's under the will of Allah. If Allah wills, we punish him. If Allah wills, we will forgive him. Some scholars say, no, he has to go to the hellfire. Because Allah says, إِنَّ اللَّهَ لَا يَغْفِرُ أَنْ يُشْرَكَ بِهِ Shirki is general. Allah does not forgive the parties are associated with them. So this is general. So this means a shirk al-akbar and a shirk al-asgar. But what's the difference? The one who dies upon major shirk will be in the hellfire forever. And the one who dies upon the lesser form of shirk will eventually come out of the hellfire. Major shirk nullifies your Islam in totality. Minus shirk nullifies the deed itself. Major shirk is apostasy from the religion which will necessitate capital punishment if we're in a place where the Islamic law is established. Different from the minus shirk, minus shirk is not punishable by capital punishment. Uh, is it possible for a person to repent from major shirk? Yes. Because Allah forgives all sins. As Allah, He mentions, قُلْ يَا عِبَادِيَ الَّذِينَ أَصْرَفُوا عَلَىٰ أَنفُسِهِمْ لَا تَقْنَتُ مِنْ رَحْمَةِ اللَّهِ إِنَّ اللَّهَ يَكْفِرُ الذُّنُوبَ جَمِيعًا Say, O oh my servants who have wronged themselves, do not despair from the mercy of Allah, Indeed, Allah forgives all sins. 
Some may say, well, wait a minute. This is a contradiction here in your religion. Yes, right. One verse says Allah doesn't forgive that partners are associated with him. Another verse says Allah forgives all sins. So which one is it? Does Allah forgive shirk or he doesn't forgive shirk? The answer is, Allah doesn't forgive shirk for the one who dies upon it. The one who dies upon shirk, Allah doesn't forgive the person. But the one who repents from shirk before dying, Allah will forgive them. And this is the case of every individual who has accepted Islam, leaving behind them Christianity, Judaism, Buddhism, polytheism. They were once committing shirk and then they repented and accepted Islam and Islam wipes out that which is before it, as the Prophet mentioned. Another difference between uh, al-shirk al-akbar wa shirk al-asghar the one who is known to have died upon a shirk al-asghar and the person I mean shirk al-akbar and the person is a disbeliever the person is not washed by the muslims not shrouded by the muslims not prayed over by the muslims nor is the person buried in the graveyard of the muslims different from a muslim who died upon lesser shirk He's still a Muslim. So we wash the body, we shroud the body, we pray over the body, and we bury the person in the grave of the, of the Muslims. And his family can inherit from him. Different from major shirk. If a person apostates from the religion, the Muslim family cannot inherit from that wealth. That person is not a Muslim. So these are some of the differences the scholar they mentioned between Major shirk and minor shirk, but both are serious. So one should not be deceived by the term minor shirk or lesser form of shirk. It doesn't mean that it's a small matter. Rather, this is only in comparison to the major shirk. No. Say that again. Every, well, the, the scholars, they differ about this. The scholars say every mushrik is a kafir, but not every kafir is a mushrik. I, I will explain, inshallah. And other scholars, they say, no, every mushrik is a kafir, and every kafir is a mushrik. As for the scholars who say every mushrik is a kafir, well, not every kafir is a mushrik. They say that a person who commits shirk is a kafir, and a major shirk. He's a disbeliever. But not every disbeliever commits shirk. A person is a disbeliever, but he's an atheist. He doesn't believe in anything. He doesn't worship anything. So they'll say he's a kafir, but not a mushrik. Because he's not worshipping anything. He's a kafir. Right? He's a disbeliever. But he's not a polity, he doesn't worship idols. The other scholars say, no, he's a mushrik. Still. Why? He's worshipping his desires to the point which makes him disbelieve in Allah. So he has a God. His God is his desires. Ayyuh, ahsant. 
Have you seen the one who has taken his desires as a God besides Allah? So, as, as an example, Sheikh Saleh Fawzan, may Allah preserve him, he's of the opinion, and this is mentioned in his book, uh, Kitab al-Tawheed, he's of the opinion that every mushrik is a kafir, but not every kafir is a mushrik. And then he brings his argument. And he mentions what he mentions are proofs. And then you have like the likes of Sheikh al-Albani, rahimahullah. He's of the opinion that Every mushrik is a kafir, and every kafir is a mushrik. And what he brought as a proof, which is amazing, may Allah have mercy upon him, his story in Surah Al-Kahf. What time is it? How much? Huh? Yeah, I know, I know. I don't want to. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> No, it's the, it's the story when the two men were arguing or debating and one told the other, I have more children than you and I have more wealth than you. No, but look. So... No, but in the... Keep going. But then there's a part where he's asked about the disbelief. Right? Because he says he doesn't believe that now go later on when he gets when the, when the punishment comes okay. so that's the kufa right there keep going keep going keep going see that word right there shirk but then if you keep going, when, his, when he woke up and his garden was destroyed, what, what, what did he say? Who knows? When the man woke up the next morning and the garden was destroyed. Keep going. Keep going. Keep going. Ah. Keep going. Keep going. Ah, keep going. But no, what's the statement of the man who's got him? He's destroyed. What's his statement? Keep going. Ah, there we go, right there. See? The man said to him, Have you disbelieved? Right? Because of him saying that if, if, you know, like he denied the hereafter, you disbelieve? And then when the man's garden was destroyed, he said, I wish I didn't make a partner with Allah. You see the connection? His disbelief was because of what? Come on, Allah. Because why? Why? What was the disbelief? Because of his statement regarding the hereafter. There was a statement regarding belief in Allah and resurrection. And you understand? No, 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 no. No, the statement of that if he didn't believe it, it would perish. Right? And if it was to perish, what? Maybe he'll get better. Or other is the point of this. He, he didn't believe 
that it will come to an end that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala fired. But then when he when Allah destroyed the garden, he said, I wish I didn't make commit shirk. I wish I didn't commit shirk. So the Shaykh Al-Adani says, every mushrik is a kafir and every kafir is a mushrik. From that angle. What idol did he worship? So every kafir is a mushrik. Even if the person doesn't worship a physical idol, their disbelief is the worship of their own desires. That's where the shirk is at. And Allah knows best. Allah knows best. Subhanakallah, alhamdulillah, kashar, wa la ilaha ilaha, anta